Hello everybody and welcome to This Game Where with me, Ashley. And me, Chris. Hello everyone. Hello! I had a bit of a moment then because I thought, obviously it's, it's Halloween in a few days, I thought we could do something like on the on the Simpsons where they do something scary with their names, but I had a moment of panic and, and got all flustered, I couldn't think of anything scary to do with either of our names. Yeah, that whole thing's been kind of, it's been adopted as a thing on Twitter, hasn't it? And I've everyone no on Twitter idea. renames themselves various things, so... I don't. I assume that came from The Simpsons because that's where I saw it first. It probably predates The Simpsons, though, doesn't it? I don't know what I'd be. Ashley, Ashley, like an ah, oh. like a scream. I was quite proud of that. Cool. What would you be? Creepy Chris. That's yeah. I mean, you creepy Chris every day, yeah, aren't you? I, but... I realise as, as 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 the words come out of my mouth, I realise that's uh, not good. Problematic. No, not great. Maybe it would just say Ashley from Beyond the Grave and Chris haunting the downstairs toilet or something no we're all right all right let's just i think we'll we'll just go on with things let's just say actually Chris. how are you i'm spectacular how are you yeah uh, trunk- uh, fine i'm fine thank you get us in the mood halloween yeah halloween i'm gonna get us in the mood there you go right what what's gonna a- be well in the mood for halloween not that i like halloween what's your annual halloween festivities then our annual halloween festivities are these days, close the curtains, pretend you're not in. <laughs> like that's how we celebrate Halloween now. Like when there's a Jehovah's Witness at the door. Um, yeah, just very small ones that belligerent if you don't give them chocolate and shit. Have you ever been tri- tricked or treated? Tricked? We've never been tricked. No, we've never been tricked. We get a few trick. We used to get more trick or treaters in the previous houses that we've lived in than we do here. Um, the first year that we put, the first year we moved in here, we had. We put a what you call it a pumpkin out in the uh, in the bay window, um, so that people could see it, mm. and that's that seems to be taken around here as a sign that you're sort of looking for people knocking on your door. Yeah, so if you don't have a pumpkin out, then people don't tend to knock, which I think is pretty reasonable yeah. and and much appreciated. We have so, some years I'm sensible. Some years we have loads of people, and some years we have like two or three. It, it's very inconsistent. Yeah, well, I'm not. To be honest, I'm, I wouldn't encourage it um, anymore. It's a bit, without getting a bit glum or dour, dour? I don't know if that's the right word. Um, it's not the best It's not the best idea during a pandemic to be uh, trooping around that's your neighbourhood. Fair point. Uh, touching all everybody's doors and shit, is it? No, we're closing the curtains and watching Hocus Pocus. That's our plan. Yeah, I, is it the? I mean, this sounds. I feel like this conversation is a bit boring, but is the are the clocks going back on the same night as Halloween this year? Uh, they used to go back on the Saturday, so yeah, it will be Halloween. Will be one hour earlier or later. Shorter. Fall back. I think it's shorter because so they go back at one. Spring forward, fall back, which doesn't work for this country because we don't call it fall. Oh no, it'll be an hour longer, won't it? Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, our uh, we have a tradition around the clocks going. Oh, back. you do so your Nightmare Before Christmas, don't you? Yes, yeah. we watch a Nightmare Before Christmas because it, you can watch the film in half an hour. We have actually branched out a little bit from a Nightmare Before Christmas. It used to be that we watched that every year, and it would take half an hour to watch it, and it was an hour and a half long, which we liked. But now we do that with any film, so we choose a film and we watch it over the <laughs> period that the uh, just any film in an hour, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, just any film these days, yeah. Cool. We might make it a nightmare before Christmas because we haven't watched that for quite a while now. I last watched it about ten years ago, so when I was sort of like mid twenties, and I felt a bit embarrassed watching it. it I, I didn't feel Why? I didn't feel it aged well. Oh, you felt embarrassed not because you you were you were a twenty odd man. No, it was it was that I, I felt a bit self conscious and silly watching it. 
I, I, uh, a film I'm that was very cherished the- in my childhood and I just felt a bit, that was a bit too old for it. I didn't really have a relationship with it in, uh, except for the relationship of seeing the advert on like Nickelodeon or whatever for it for it being played on Disney Channel, which we didn't have. So every year it would be on... I would see it as an advert right. and and sort of yearn for it. Mm. Um, and I, I think I probably watched it for the first time when I was a teen. And I thought it was fine, but I've never really... I've never really clicked with it the way that it seems everybody else did. And then it became a bit of a cult thing because of the old Tim Burton. Everybody our age seemed to to adore Tim Burton. All the interesting girls did, anyway. All the interesting girls. That's a way to put it. Interesting. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like, yes. It's, it's that creepy. I, it, it, I didn't mean for it to sound creepy. Oh, no, I didn't take it as creepy. I thought you meant all of the girls that... Well, I can I can think of other ways that you might have in, in, in meant it, but I thought you meant, like, all the girls that shied away from the mainstream, you know, Sophie Ellis-Bexter stylings of the, the mid to late noughties. It was, it was... And were more gothy or well, emo well, or... It was, a, it was a shorthand for I'm goth, but I'm not full goth. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, yeah. and I think you're right. So, um... And Tim Burton was like a by a, a byword, I guess, for yeah. for those for that for that group of people. Um, and I sort of tried to buy into it, but every film that he was making at the time was a bit of a letdown because he made Alice in Wonderland. That yeah. was crap. I mean, that was a bit later, I guess. Big, Big Fish and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Big, around then. So Big Fish is the exception. I actually think Big Fish is quite all right, but Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, huge. Hugely disappointing, very underwhelming. He did Planet of the Apes. He did a remake of it in 2001. Oh, yes, yeah, that's the, yeah, I was thinking the orig- the, the new Planet of the Apes, like the reboot no. one, which is actually pretty good. Oh, they're, they're, they're really good, yeah. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah, I never really bought into the Tim Burton hype. I actually, I tried, but I never really did. And as a byproduct of that, I never really held, I actually, the, the best part or the best version i think of nightmare before christmas as far as i am concerned is in kingdom hearts uh, I was, that's where i enjoy it most I was thinking the same so, thing definitely yeah so um i don't really know why we fell into it other than the fact that the clock's going back feels like a bit of a, a moment between a transition between halloween and christmas and therefore it was a an appropriate film mm-hmm. to watch and it's one of those shortish films that yeah that actually only lasts a short bit long a little bit longer than the the hour that you lose. <sighs> I bet everybody's really glad that I went into such detail on uh, on that. Have we, have we bored ourselves? I I'm I'm feeling like the first ten minutes because this has been. I don't know what it'll end up being when it actually goes out after I've cut it to death. But it is ten minutes we've been talking <laughs> about, uh, about rubbish. Yeah, about absolute nonsense. Well, let's, um, let's get us back on track then. What's what spooky game are we doing this year for Halloween? So, Huh. How do you know it's spooky? Have you just assumed that I'm doing a spooky game? I, I have, have assumed. Uh, have I? Uh, Come on, it's got to be. It's got to be. It's Halloween. So it is this game where then, with the help of a demonic mask, you take all manner of blunt objects to the skulls of the Dark Lord's demon hordes, all in the name of rescuing a woman named Jennifer. And if you need an extra help, which you look like you do, it's on the Mega Drive. Is it the mask? No. Mm. You don't go, rescue anyone called Jennifer in the mask. Oh, it's because you said mask it. it just, just go for I know, it. Just go for it again. Is, yeah. This game where, yeah. with the help of a demonic mask, you take all manner of blunt objects to the skulls of the Dark Lord's demon hordes, all in the name of rescuing a woman named Jennifer. 
not a clue. So this is, to me, it, it was released elsewhere and it, it's a sequel. And the original in this series didn't come out on the Mega Drive. But this is a quintessential Mega Drive game to me. This, along with a few others, typifies what I think of when I think Mega Drive. Is it a platformer? And it is... No, it's a beat-em-up. And it is Splatterhouse 2. Oh, okay. Are you aware of Splatterhouse 2? I know of it, but I don't think I've ever touched it. Is Splatterhouse where... Is there someone on on the cover that's got like the, um, the Jason mask? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. Well, you say that it's the Jason mask. It's not supposed to be the Jason mask, but in-game, it looks like the Jason mask. On the cover, actually, it doesn't. So you've mandated uh, there. Okay. Is that one of those where they've they've put it in to remind you of that shared cultural phenomenon, but not so much it, that it would be copyright infringement? Well, this is the thing. So in later iterations of the game, I, I remember it as the Jason mask, and I wouldn't be surprised... In Splatterhouse 2, I remember it as the Jason mask in-game as as well as on the cover. But when you actually look at the cover, it is a skull-shaped mask. And I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if we, when we actually play the game, it's, it's not actually a, a Jason-esque hockey mask. But, as I say, that's the way I remember it, uh, the same as you. The reason that I'm not sure is because one of the things that happened was that they, they changed the the look of the mask. They even changed the colour. And I don't know whether that happened in number two or number three. We're going to find out tonight. So I'm looking at the, the cover now, and yeah, it is a skull on the cover, but then there's a couple of screenshots where it looks like, like the Jason, Jason mask, mask like with teeth mask. at the bottom. So some sort of skull jason hybrid well they changed it to a red mask as well late in later games right, so okay. they were definitely aware of the similarity i think it was pointed out quite readily when the game was released the front cover's got Splatterhouse 2 written in obviously like red blood it's this would not have been on my radar at all this would have been very far off my radar because it looks quite well this uh, game actually came onto my radar through my cousin's household because my cousin owned this game as i say for the mega drive um it stands alongside uh, so i said that this is like a, a typical to me this typifies the mega drive so you had the sonics and you had the echoes and things like that but actually to me the beat-em-up was... The Mega Drive was the home of the beat-em-up. So you've got Streets of Rage, you've got Golden Axe, you've got Splatterhouse. Um, there's also... This is a side-scrolling beat-em-up. Oh, okay. It, it doesn't have depth. As far as I remember, anyway, it doesn't have depth in the way that Streets of Rage and Golden Axe do. Right, that's my, um, that's so my interest, it, Pete. It sort of feels a bit like a platformer, which you sort of, you, you asked whether it was or, or not, but it sort of feels like one, but actually it's a beat-em-up. This game, and there's another one called Comics Zone. Do you know Comics Zone? Yeah, again, Comics Zone is one I know of. There was a lot of... Um... Sort of as the Mega Drive went on, it was one that I, I read quite a bit about, uh, but I never actually played because I know that the concept is it where that it's an illustrator gets sucked into the comic that he's written, and then it, it's got all these, it's got the, the the Batman sort of like power and things. Is that correct? As you go through yeah, the game, pretty much, and uh, you're I, moving through through the panels of of the game. Yeah, you're moving yeah. through the panels. Yeah, it's it's actually a really nice. As far as I remember, we'll we'll be coming to that game in the in the future in a future episode. Um, but as far as I remember, it has a really nice distinctive style um and there was a there were versions on the mega drive there was version on the um on the mass system as well for some reason i seem to think that the mass system version of comic zone the, the cover has like a player a, a just normal person playing the arcade cabinet of comic zone but i could be wrong Very i'm better. not sure well, yeah when when we first started talking about the front cover of house i actually had comic zone in my head so for some reason mm. 
in my mind, these two games are linked. I'm not sure why yes. that is. Is, is there no. a link between them? No, not as far oh. as I know. There might well be. Right. Like, I might just not know what the link is. But there, as far as I'm aware, there is no link between the games. Other than the fact that, as I said, to me at least, they typify what the Mega Drive was. The the sorts of games that you would find on the Mega Drive. The sorts of games that actually, I think, developers and Sega wanted you to find on the Mega mm. Drive. Or, or think of when you thought of the Mega Drive. Because they both had a, a bit of a an adult bent. This actually... Um, this. Splathouse 2 came out in 1992 and it, it predated the voluntary rating system that oh, okay. came in later in the 90s. Right. So it doesn't actually have a... Right, I'm saying this and I'm actually thinking it might be the first one that doesn't have a rating on it. No, it, no, it is this one. So this both of the first ones... And I, re- and I know that because uh, the first one didn't come out on the Mega Drive. So it must be... It is Splathouse 2. Predate predates the asrb system and it's it but it did have like a warning on the front of the game that said oh this game contains graphic violence and things like that if people are listening and are able to if you google the front cover you don't probably didn't need to have that warning from the front cover i just just went well, that out there i think you kind of did because the front cover doesn't actually do justice to what happens in the game this is a game that very much as you as you've already intimated with the fact that he looks like jason Voorhees in the hockey mask this game borrows quite heavily from a number of different uh horror films and there are to name but a few i mean there are the blunt objects there's the baseball bats and the and the bars and things like that but there's also a chainsaw there's a there's moments where he's wielding a chainsaw mm. it's only saving grace in terms of its graphic violence is that the graphic violence is always against monsters there is not a there's not a single moment here where a human is decapitated in any way shape or form and actually the whole game is written around you going to rescue your girlfriend because if i fill in some of the blanks uh story-wise the main character's name is rick and in the first game rick and jennifer they go to a man it's called the West Mansion. That I think it's to get out of a storm or something. I'm not familiar. I'm not hugely familiar with the first game, although I've played it a long time ago. It's not the start of um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes, it is. Yeah, incidentally, yeah, less singing in this one. Right, that's a shame. And less, uh, less sexiness in this one. I think, if I remember it correctly, although that might have gone over my head when I was playing this game because I was playing it much, much younger than I should have probably been, Which is, for reasons that will come to. Just on that note, my my wife is a massive fan of the Rock Horror Picture Show, and she used to watch it when she was five or six, and her, her parents or her mum used to stop it at the point at where it all kind of where it all gets got a bit weird. sexy. So she, she was very familiar with the first 20, 25 minutes or so of the film. Well, here's something that you, your wife and I share in common then, because my mum was bought by my auntie the Rocky Horror Picture Show original cast recording. Brilliant. This is pre-eight. This is before I moved to Grimsby. Therefore, I wasn't eight years old. I listened to that CD more than my mum did. And I I was word perfect on that whole album, uh, probably by the time I was seven. Amazing. So I knew every single word and I used to croon it. <laughs> for lack of a better word. And then, I don't know how it came about, and this is probably one of the most embarrassing things I'll ever talk to you about. My auntie, who had bought that CD for my mum, her name was Janet. Excellent. So anyone that's familiar with Rock Horror Picture Show. And there's a song called Damn It, Janet, on the CD. And I distinctly remember being in our front room, our living room, in our house in Lincoln, probably about seven years old, doing a duet of Damn It, Janet, with my auntie Janet. (laughs) Which is... uh, I mean, Brad and Janet, obviously, at that point, they're quite wholesome characters, but I still think that there's an inappropriateness to that whole whole setup. Yeah, completely. Yep, yep. So there you go. That might 
that might end up cut, but it, it's something that you'll know at the very least. It explains a lot about your psyche. Oh, yeah, that's only the tip of the iceberg, I'm afraid. Where were we? Yes, yeah, so it's a little bit like the setup for Splathouse is a little bit like the setup for Rocky Horror Picture Show, and uh, except for there's less singing and there's less uh, sexy times. They turn up at this West Mansion. West Mansion happens to be the former home of a Dr. West who was doing heinous paranormal sciencey bits. So mixing the two when you should never mix the two. Never the train shall meet. Well, ideally, yes. He was raising presumably all kinds of monsters, turning people into monsters. And they go into this mansion. They get separated somehow. Janet ends up being turned into a monster. And Rick ends up being possessed by this mask that has its own sentience, has its own consciousness in it so he gets possessed it gives him this power it gives him superpowers and he goes trying looking for jennifer to try and rescue her Bloodhouse 2 picks up about i don't know exactly how long but some time after the events of the first one janet incidentally turned into a big monster as i said and rick killed this big monster that was attacking him that, that was jennifer but the first the the opening to this game at least in the Japanese version, it suggests that actually Jennifer isn't dead, that Jennifer's being um, ended up in some kind of other dimension or something like that. And that's what Rick is doing in the second game. He is going to rescue uh, Jennifer from wherever she ended up. Therefore, even though you're saying monsters left, right and centre, it's in the name of of love and because they are bad monsters, it makes it okay. Yeah? Um... Yes, I think so. Okay. I mean, I know you're gonna you 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 sound like you're gonna pull out your old Soleil monsters. <laughs> who's the real monster quandary? But um, I, I yes, I think that's the gist of the. You weren't, you know? no. I, I was just. I was only saying that just as a kind of. That's maybe where the game's morality comes into it. That it's justified huh. as slaying these monsters because they did bad things the first bit. It's not like you know you you, you go in and kill it for the sake of it. Um, no, you, you're fighting your way through this horde of monsters in order to go and rescue your girlfriend, yeah. Jennifer, or whatever's left of her, if there is anything left. So, um, so what was the... Where were we before that? So you mentioned the warning then, um, on the front cover. Yeah, um, I don't know... Oh yeah, that's where we were, wasn't it? Because I was saying, the actual situation here is that you don't kill any human beings, so right. all of the decapitation, all of the bloody gore and horror, all of it is inflicted on these monsters that you're fighting your way through to go and actually rescue a human being, or what is left of her, if there is anything left of her. The game didn't have an ESRB rating when it was originally released, because it was prior to the voluntary system in, that was introduced in the 90s. It did have this tiny little warning that said, oh, this game's a bit this game's a bit gory, everybody. Probably probably just uh, be careful there. But I did find out in the reading up on this that actually on the first game, which released for not the Mega Drive, but for the FM Town system. Never heard of it. It said something along the, along the lines of that on the front, but then on the back it said, uh, for ages 10 and up. Cool. So, um, yeah, a bit of mixed messaging there. Didn't exist on the Mega Drive, that, that mixed messaging, though. It's also one of those things where if if it says that, you know, oh, this might, might be a bit choice content, that's surely going to, you know, fulfill that hype and make people... Drive, drive yeah. demand. Yeah, yeah, potentially. The game was re-released. The Splathouse 2 was re-released for the Wii Virtual Console. With it, obviously at that point, it required an ESRB rating. And the ESRB rating that it was given was an M, so mature. Mm. For mature audiences only. And it ended up being, actually, the only M-rated game to release for the Wii Virtual Console. Oh, that's a good fact. Yeah, I mean, that's one that you can find on Wikipedia, so I'm not going to dress it up as though I've, I've you know, 
interviewed many, many millions of people just to get to that one little nugget of brilliance. It's fine. But it is genuinely a good fact. It, it just so happens to be that I did find that on Wikipedia. So unfortunate, really, but never mind. You mentioned it's a, a, a scrolling beat up then in the vein of Streets of Rage and Golden Axe, but mm. not with the depth that those have. So is it just a left to right stalking yep. the monsters as they come in your path affair? Yeah, it is. And there were a few of those. Uh, the two prominent ones, at least in my head, were Splathouse 2 and and its sequel Splathouse 3 uh, but also Comic Zone those two stand as the sort of the pinnacles of that type of beat-em-up and again as I say typical of the Mega Drive everything the things that were on the Mega Drive the things that Sega I feel wanted people to think mm. of when they thought of the Mega Drive brand I really enjoyed Streets Rage and Gold Max as I think I've maybe talked about before um, so Everybody I'm feeling, I'm feeling a bit less snobby towards this as maybe I was at the start what are your oh, memories? you were feeling snobby towards it were you? no I just, not snobby. That's maybe the wrong word. I, it just it didn't, uh, mm, didn't probably not knowing you didn't tick my pickles. What what are your memories of it? Let me put it this way, right? My auntie was married. My auntie was remarried. So my cousins were the cousins that I had from her first marriage. She remarried, and the person she remarried had children, and one of them oh, was particularly obnoxious. And so Fair whenever enough. I was around there, he was obnoxious, didn't really get on with him. And that was the environment that I was playing. So basically, really, I was playing this game so that I could ignore as best as possible him. But the problem was, we only ever ended up playing games like Splatterhouse 2. That just added, to the, added fuel to the fire uh, in terms of the obnoxiousness, because this was it was the edgy thing, you know? Mm. It was an edgy thing to do because we were young'uns and this was, a, a, by all accounts, an M-rated game. So, um, How old were you when you were playing it? Oh, uh, probably about 10 years old, so... Oh, so not... I thought you say four or something. No, no. This game... So I told you, didn't I? This game came out in 1992. Yeah. So I would have actually been four when it released. But when we were playing it, it was probably about... Maybe about nine or ten when we were playing it. That's the same auntie, by the way, that I was singing Rocky Horror Picture Show songs with. So, That's yeah. nice. It ties um, all together. But yeah, at the time, I wasn't really into, like, edgy, violent games or anything like that. And to be honest, it's not It's not what It's not what I look to for games now, even. I'm happier playing... I'm happy... I'm, I'm, I'm just as at home playing a bit of Super Mario Odyssey is I am playing the next shoot somebody's face off type You're not one of those people who will play a game specifically because of the, the violence or whatever. Yeah, no, I was never... Yeah, and I think those people existed certainly well, at the time that I would have been playing Splathouse 2. The idea that games were for adults or could be for adults or that they should be for adults was being mainstreamed by the PlayStation and the fare that was coming out for that. So When I was at university, I worked at cinema part-time and I distinctly remember working on the, the box office, the... the the high-fluting concept name for the the mm. ticket booth, and I remember a guy came in sort of mid twenties, and he said, uh, "What what eighteens you got on?" And I said, oh, "I'm yeah. sorry, <laughs> uh, what what have you got on to eighteen? I talked through the films. It was a a fourteen screen cinema I worked at, and so I talked through the the handful of eighteens that were on, and he said, "Oh yeah, I'll go and see that one." And that you know the fact that I can remember that fifteen years after that potentially happening, yeah, I just I can't. I can't get my head around personally that that being your criteria for going to see a film. That mentality, ju- judging yeah. it on the rating, is it for big boys? Yeah, exactly. Is what he came in because and asked. Yeah, I I can get and often do get just so much enjoyment from a U film as I would from an eighteen. I watch films based on them being a film, not the age rating. Yeah, the age rating system, the BBFC certification system is nothing to do really with how the the adultness of the film no. you could you can end up with an 18 rating i can't remember what the numbers are but there's like two fucks and an ass or something like that <laughs> is what you need to do to get like it's just such an arbitrary system yeah, completely and you can end up with 
a you, but be really adult in its themes. Yeah. So in terms of, but you don't have any nudity, you don't have any graphic violence, you don't have any swearing, but you are a, a drama aimed at middle-aged women, all about the menopause or something like that. And that'll get a PG mm. or a U or something, but it's not for kids. You know, the idea that you would go in and your viewing, your viewing would be expressly guided by whether it's a big boy film mm. or not. In and of itself, that attitude is a very adolescent, childish attitude. Yeah, completely. Which is is the huge irony there, really, because that man will have felt like a big a big boy <laughs> uh, mm. going in and, and getting his 18, 18 plus kicks, won't he? And the- and actually, this is the this is the game I think for the Mega Drive. This is the series that I might be being hard, uh, unfair to it because I'm sh- I'm hoping that it's got a bit of a tongue in its cheek or a bit of self awareness, but I think. I feel, at least from what I remember of it, that this was the game that that same man would have wanted to play on the Mega Drive because it was a big boy game. But there's always games like it, like Manhunt and Manhunt 2, which yes. they, they were yeah, the... perfect uh, examples of big boy yeah. games. And, and to be fair to both those games, they're, they're, they're between okay to pretty good games, but they, they attracted a lot of hype and attention just because of the content of them rather than actually being the merit of the game yeah precisely and that was actually i feel like a a lot of the time that was the driving force behind certain sections of the community wanting to play them it wasn't because they were going to be good games it was because they allowed you to decapitate or murder people in various different ways and it's just uh, you know there's a maybe there's a place for it i'm not i'm not any, any kind of puritan that believes that that certain themes have to be avoided or unexplored or whatever I, I think it's, I want to say, I think it's fine because I want to be flippant uh, about, I, I want, it doesn't really register as a, like a major yeah, issue to me. That's what thing, I'm trying to it? get across. Yeah. It's just something that happens. The thing that I find weird is that people pride themselves on yeah. that, that being their only experience of, of gaming or of media, like only watching shock mm. any, anything, playing things or watching things or listening to things that are just shock value. Yeah, well, let's let's find out what the M rating is all about and see what the the who are is then. house yeah sorry i meant to say that in a slightly more disappointed sounding voice but it just came out well, you, you generic just, didn't it you just sounded resigned just oh, splatter yeah. house. well that's how it was supposed to be oh you've delivered it exactly how i wanted to deliver it and it came out a little bit more excited or I, ambiguous i guess i was gonna lead him with splatter house poo so at least you got a bit of nuance to, to yours uh, yeah i got him first yeah. yeah there is no nuance needed though i don't think it's you didn't like it i guess from i thought it was terrible i really did not like it terrible at all. terrible yeah I mean, there's some right. things to like about it but it, it's it's not it's not for me so the thing that would make me not recommend it is that it's sitting in a genre that other games do so much better yeah and they are its contemporaries on the Mega Drive. So we mentioned in passing Golden Axe and Streets of Rage. Obviously, they're the, they're the kingpins on the Mega Drive of, of the beat-em-up genre. And this game doesn't do anything to add to uh, what they already did. And in fact, I think that it's it's not as good 
as anything that they did. No, I think Street Rage and Golden Axe, you've got the, the depth we talked about in the first half, but... That does make a difference, it, it? It really does, because this is literally just going from left to right, and whatever enemies come at mm. you from the right or sometimes from the left as well, you are just you just kill them, and then you move on, and that's it. One thing as well, which I think is part of the difficulty aspect that this game is, is striving to do uh, with every fibre of its being, is the lack of health. So Streets of Rage and Golden Axe, if you lose health, you can then regain that health. In this, yeah. if you lose health, that's it. It's just, it's gone. So it makes every level a slog to try and get through and not lose your health. Yeah. Which I didn't find very fun. It's an aspect of its arcade beginnings, I think, that it could have done well, it would have done well to shake off in its transition to uh, being a console game because it, it's just the fact that it takes you to the beginning of, e- of the level each time you lose your four hearts. Not really... Not really a recipe for a fun experience. I think it's also part of it, who who the game's aimed at. I'm not completely sure who it is aimed at, which we'll talk about in a few yeah. minutes. But I, th- I think it's that trying to make it adult in every sense of that word, mm. that it's it's trying to punish you in any which way it can do. And I think that's part of that, not having health. And then It's when, part of when, its sadomasochistic package. Yeah, that's a good way to sum it up, absolutely. Yeah, at the, at the same time, it just doesn't do difficulty very well, does it? Because if you think, uh, obviously, Dark Souls is a long time after, but if you think about difficulty in games, one of the things that I kept coming across was that there was a, sem- a, a level of unfairness to what this game threw at you. It's got that thing. I think we talked way back in Gremlins 2 about about Gremlins 2 being, what episode was that? You usually know. Gremlins uh, do? I think four. Was it? Okay. So way back then, whenever that was, many years, many moons, many moons passed. Gremlins 2, we said you can complete it in half an hour if you're good at the game, you know the game. But the entire premise behind that game and many games uh, that were contemporaneous to it, probably this included, is that part of it is the repetition and learning the the levels, learning them to such an extent that you can then master them uh, on later run-throughs and i think there's an element of that here i think there's pattern recognition in say the elevator levels where you you realize enemies are jumping in a certain way or whatever so yeah you've probably got that here the difference i think between gremlins 2 and this is that i have no inclination to want to learn learn the patterns and to return to those levels because they're they're a bit so i'm going to say this and i know full well that i'm going to contradict myself to some extent later as we as we continue talking but they're a bit bland is is what i'm going to say here yeah there's a blandness to these levels that just doesn't just doesn't help with that repetitious cycle that you have to go through to best the game i found the whole game just dull it was it was uninspiring. There was nothing mm. to really motivate me to make me want to carry on playing. And you know, it's it's got this whole the atmosphere, the the body horror, which it does do well. But once you've kind of met a handful of enemies that are a bit grotesque to look at, then that's the game. And that is where I contradict myself because in in terms of the visual, for the most part, in terms of how it is presented visually, that's where it comes into its own. That's where it shines because the actual, the animations are, are really well done across most of what I experienced. The The way that the bodies of these monsters splat against the walls and the green ooze as you decapitate them or chop them in half or whatever, as that splats out of their bodies. Uh, all of that looks fantastic. He, the way that Rick, the main character, swaggers and the, the number of frames presumably that went into that um, is all to its credit 
yeah, the look of it is really good. I, I asked you, I said, it, it's definitely Camp Nice 92 because it just looks so good. And the, the variety of enemies, these, these Cronenberg-esque creations, they do look genuinely very, very good. And coupled with that, the, the sounds, the, the different groans and moans that they make as well. Yeah, but then that's not enough to overcome the Dullers Dishwater game play. Uh, I think one of the one of the differences between this and other beat 'em ups is certainly Golden Axe and, and Streets of Rage, but also if you think about Turtles in Time or the Simpsons arcade game, those that are seen as the pinnacle of that genre or, or the most memorable anyway, is that you are sort of one shotting most of these enemies. Yeah, you, there's no there's no actually there's no wrestling with them. There's no challenge beyond making sure you time your swing correctly or, or your punch correctly or whatever um the challenge i guess comes and, and that is that is really one of the big issues that i think this game has you just you're plowing through the enemies and and the actual the actual plowing isn't very fun i can think of games where plowing through the enemies is is the is part and parcel of the enjoyment and the experience so um any of the dynasty warriors games made plowing through enemies uh, an absolute art and the pinnacle of that particular yeah, genre, now whatever you would call it um musu it's musu isn't it musu games uh, the pin- pinnacle of that genre is obviously uh, or not maybe not obviously but Hyrule warriors which i'm playing through at the moment it is just so much fun so plowing through enemies can be great um the other one uh, Dead Rising. So Dead Rising, plowing through enemies in the mall in that in that first instalment of of Dead Rising is a treat. Plowing through enemies here is boring, <laughs> and that's a shame. The variety comes from picking up different instruments that you can use against them, whether it be a, a baseball bat, a stick, a bone, whatever. But again, it's just I've got this this it's weapon now. It's the same now. thing, reskin. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, he does. Have I think that. also the novelty. So we've talked about novelty being a. a bonus in games uh, and something that we enjoy when it's when it's done right the novelty here is in the variety of enemies so there were there was a variety of enemies they did all have that david cronenberg body horror um oozing flesh sort of feeling to them um there were at, at points there were what looked like babies hanging dangling oh. down by you umbilical cords or something from horrible. from the roof Utterly and, horrible. and they would they would drop down like some horrible heinous pinata and you would batter them with a with your baseball bat or whatever i think it was a chainsaw at that point actually and then and then there were these weird walking globs of flesh in the first level wasn't there and the the strange things in the basement after the first elevator sequence that, that sort of acted like the t-1000s those purple yeah. monsters that tried to spike you and there was a great deal of novelty to those enemies the problem was that the novelty really only existed in terms of in visual terms so where you might get different attack patterns in another game that then meant that the challenge was the novelty uh, sorry the variation in challenge was the novelty or part of it you didn't really have that they sort of made a nod towards it some might jump and some dangled down by their umbilical cords and so on but it wasn't ever really there it was really just like here's another target to to smack with your bat because the, or your fist and, and the moveset was very limited it was a punch if you Massively crouch down limited. you could then kick to um, which was quite useful you could also do a, a, a jumping kick and then um, i watched a speed run of the game which can be released in 15 minutes and it was quite nice to watch that to see how many levels there are in the game because i got stuck at a boss and my enjoyment was so low i just gave up i couldn't really quite bothered but he whoever was doing this playthrough was just doing this move where basically uh, rick was sliding through on his bum like he's playing baseball and and mm. running towards a, a base 
and that seemed to just mow down all enemies in in his path which rendered the game incredibly easy it seems i didn't rediscover that move tonight i can't remember how you do it i assume that you press down and jump or something like that but i do remember having that move i don't remember it making it particularly easy i I do think that there probably is a a certain level of skill that that person who completed the game in 15 minutes or so has uh, and was making it look easy when actually it probably wasn't quite as easy as it seemed you mentioned the bosses the bosses are actually where challenge ramps up significantly but i think to some extent it ramps up too far so you end up you you sort of flip-flop between these these long reasonably long levels that you just drudge through and then you get to this boss and the boss is a bit more challenging and invariably kills you and sends you back to the beginning of the trudge again. Yeah. So you have to fun. trudge back to where where those where those moments of challenge are. And trudge you did because Rick, as is as befits his Hulk like nature, is so slow. He's not a he's not a fast man, is he? No. When I say that the bosses are challenging, I think what I really mean is that there's a level of unfairness to them. Mm. They feel a lot, and actually that's something that I I came across throughout those levels we've talked in part in the past about um like jack-in-the-box development um where it, or, or the the developer surprises i can't remember what term we used for them but we did coin one at one point where the developer springs something on you and that's that's the challenge gotcha. the fact that gotcha moments yeah gotcha moments yeah that and that's how they create challenge in their game it's not that they've created something that is in and of itself a challenge it's that the surprise is the challenge and then i suppose in in future playthroughs you've got to remember that all oh, this this monster springs out of this yeah. corpse um at your face and that they drop down from these holes and that this enemy is in unfair in to towards you in this way or, or sorry that this boss this boss's attack patterns are unfair in this way, and these there's a very limited window maybe uh, to avoid the unfairness of it. But I, I didn't find it great. It culminated actually. I used the password system to skip to level eight, which is the last level, and you've rescued Jennifer, and you emerge out onto the the elevator again. Um, the elevator has debris falling from the ceiling, and then there are these shuffling corpses that rise up and and come at you from either side of the elevator every so often. The incidentally, those they reminded me of dry bones in <laughs> in Super Mario World because they they were the sort of enemy that just crumples into a pile and then rises back from the from the dead every every so often. Um, while you're fighting those, there's this debris falling, and the debris patterns. I'm, I'm, there might well have been a pattern, but it was falling so fast that if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, mm-hmm. you would get hit, and you only have four lives, and this this lasts a, quite a significant period of of time. So I was dying over and over again. And it just felt like such an unfair and unrewarding uh, way to finish a game. Because mm. surely the game should have ended at the point at which you've rescued Jennifer. That, that's yeah, that's the culmination of the plot. I like the idea of an escape, but if you remember when we talked about Metroid 2 a couple of weeks ago, you defeat the, the big baddie at the end of Metroid 2, and then there's a moment where you rescue a baby Metroid, oh, yeah. and you escape the caverns that you've been plunging down into. You then The the end of the game is this celebratory es- uh, escape where the, the baby Metroid leads you out of the, out of the caverns, and the music is... Um, is celebratory it's sort of upbeat and uplifting and that feels like a real nice reward you know for finishing the game 
And I like games that do that. I like games that kind of give you an, an experience to, to remember mm-hmm. and to enjoy having sort of challenged you beforehand. This game, it seems, you rescue Jennifer and then the game tries to punish you for rescuing Jennifer, which I just think misses the mark. Yeah. I, I don't know why, why they would do that. They are by no means the only game that does that. The idea that the last level's got to be the hardest level yeah. is is something that is profuse through the through the entire medium. So you mentioned at some point while I've been looking at this, then that there was a Splatterhouse three. Mm. Do, you, do you know anything about Splatterhouse three? Does it then presumably carry on the story from the point at which you rescue Jennifer? Yeah. So um, Splatterhouse three. I haven't played Splatterhouse three, but I had a little look into uh, where the series went. I've only played Splatterhouse two. Um, Splatterhouse 3 sounds quite interesting in the sense that it takes place some years after the second game. Okay. And Jennifer and Rick are married and Ooh. they've put all, all of their horrors behind them. They've had a child whose name is David. Is Rick still so, a hench? I don't know. I don't know because I haven't played it. So uh. I've only I've only read this. I haven't I haven't watched the the video. Um he Rick, Rick is a successful Wall Street man though, you know. Um it we're just coming out of out of the night, out of the eighties, aren't we? Yeah. And it's probably a bit of a hangover from that. That, that would have been the the dream at that point, wouldn't it? Yeah, made it big. He's a he's a yuppie. I'm, um, I'm assuming he was able to remove the mask at the end of the second game. Then he, he wasn't going around Wall Street wearing the mask. Yes, I presume that. In fact, I know that he's got the mask off because um, the mask. I don't know where the mask is, but he the mask starts talking to Rick again after the, all these years, and they've they've put it all behind them, and forgot about it, and the mask then talks to Rick and tells Rick that there's monsters bearing down on his mansion, uh, where where they're all living as a family. Um, the the start of the game is that he has to rescue Jennifer again, but apparently, and that, I suppose this is a bit of a subversion of the old rescue the princess trope that games uh, that this game in particular was pulling on previously. And um, kidnapping Jennifer was just a ploy, a, a diversion to cover for the fact that they were doing a Ghostbusters two and stealing his child. Right. The evil one is the entity that's taken David, the the son. And I presume that the evil one's got some plans for, for the son that uh, probably involve possession or something taking over the world. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, Rick, Rick has to go and rescue his, his family basically um, having, having made it big on wall street. Um, this game one, so we said about Splathouse 2 not having an ESRB rating. Mm-hmm. This game was one of the first games to have a voluntary rating. Number um, three, you mean? Yes, Splathouse 3. And w- what year was this then? Uh, 93. So, oh, so there's a year between wow, the, okay. the two. The, the actual development time, there was a year between the two. There was, in fact, more time passed between the uh, in the narrative, because it was yeah. several years, more time passed in the narrative than actually passed in the development time the game also has multiple endings so you can get a bad ending you can get a jennifer dies ending a david dies ending and a good ending hmm. yeah I, I think that's quite interesting as well i don't really know much more about it so i uh, i can only apologize if you were after more were there any subsequent sequels so not sequels as far as i know i might be wrong about that but the one thing that i do remember in 2010 splathouse was rebooted it was oh. the time of the reboot yes the uh, 2010 might well have even been the year of the reboot. Uh, they were they were all over the place, and it was rebooted as a, like a 3D brawler type thing. And my recollection, I haven't actually looked this up. I should have done, but my recollection is that it was sort of, but not quite, in the in the vein of God of War, 
All right. So like a bit of a a bit of a three D brawler. Lots of enemies to decapitate and take apart. And how did that fare critically? And Not very well. Right. But Splathouse and Splathouse Two, Splathouse Three, they were playable as a, as like extras oh, in uh, in the reboot of Splathouse. Yeah, I think Splatterhouse Two, at the very least, was also included in Namco Museum, which is out on the Switch. So if you are looking we usually sort of point you towards places you can play this game. I think that is probably one of the only places that it's available, unless you can get a version of the Xbox 360 or PlayStation Splathouse reboot. And that's actually a good point we've not talked about, is that this is a, a Namco game, so the, the purveyors yes. of Pac-Man, etc., are also putting out this uh, grotesqueness. Yeah, that actually also has some bearing on where Splatterhouse's legacy um, was at least before the reboot and before Namco Museum because um, Katamari Damacy is one of my favourite um, franchises if you can have a favourite franchise um, but I, it's a game that I really enjoy and have always enjoyed since We Love Katamari came out on the PlayStation 2 there is a remix or uh, I never picked up on it uh, when I was playing it but there's some kind of remix or rewriting of the Splatterhouse theme that then appears in some of the cutscenes, I believe, in Wheel of Katamari. That's a very niche reference. It, it is. It's a niche reference in a niche game, uh, or at least what was a niche game. It's quite a lot bigger than it than it was at, at the time in 2000. And, what would it be? 2006, I think. Yeah, I'm Wheel thinking of Katamari six, came out. It was, it was mid, the second late. game in the series, the first one in the West. I remember playing that on my 18th birthday, so it would have been... 2006 playing that on my 18th birthday having woken up with a huge hangover i'd bought i bought myself five dvds from hmv for 20 pounds um in preparation for waking up with a massive hangover <laughs> and staying in bed all day that sounds like a great 18th birthday it was because the it, it it was either the day after my 18th birthday or my 18th birthday or something like that and i'd got the hangover the night before i'd earned it the night before and then minimise the pain the day after with those five DVDs and a bit of Wheel of Katamari. So had, had, had you bought those to preempt that I'm going to have a hangover? Yes. These are my five yeah. DVDs to watch, yeah. right? Any, any good ones? Yeah. Uh, what I, the only one that I remember, and, you know, I think it's, I think at, the, at least at the time it was good hangover fare. The only one that I remember is uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Right. That's one of the films that I bought. The other four fail, uh, you know, disappeared into the depths of time it would have been nice if one of them had been a serbian film it would have brought the whole episode around full circle oh, well that came out several years after so oh. i don't know what what we could have said if it had been because it was it, i would have had to travel through time to get that and the desperation that you must you must have been under in order to take a, a time machine and use it to go and get a serbian film <laughs> so you could watch it five years early <laughs> i wouldn't want to be that person that's all i'll say no uh, right, I think that sounds like a good place to to end it there. Okay, we've, good. We've, there you go. So Splatterhouse 2. Mm, play something else. Yeah. That's our Too Long Didn't Read. That's completely. Just, just don't Happy bother. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, yeah. everyone. Um, and have a ghoulish time. Lovely. Wonderful. Uh, I want to ask you a question just to... We've wrapped it up nicely or we're starting to wrap it up nicely, but I'm going to open up the discussion. Is there a better Halloween game? that you would recommend people to play this week? Had it been my turn, I would have chosen Costume Quest yeah. if it had been my turn to do a Halloween game. Last year I did Plants vs. Zombies, but, you know, there's always next year. That would be my choice next year, I'd imagine. Yeah, I don't really have a huge repertoire of Halloween games. I suppose I could have done Project Zero and we could have shat ourselves all night. Good for spooky games. Medieval. I know, I was just th that's just what I realised. I could have done Project Zero too, which made me believe in ghosts. We could do another... That would have been better, wouldn't it? We could do another... 
Clock Tower, and that would have made me poop myself. Yeah, but I've never played a Clock Tower before uh, we played Clock okay. Tower. That was the whole point of us playing Course, Clock Tower, yes. if you remember. So, I, yeah, wouldn't have qualified. But, yeah, Project Zero 2 I could have done. Um, I suppose I could have done Resident Evil 4, because I've played that and it gave me heart palpitations. That's one of the problems that I have with um, scary games. I don't have the hu- a huge repertoire of them, because they make me they make me shit. I, I'm an absolute coward when it comes to playing scary games can't do it and if we're thinking about games that uh, are quote-unquote scary think about that that you know you're going for games like project zero resident Evil 4 i've plucked for medieval or costume quest we've got the a real range of uh, halloween games there haven't we there are there are a, a range and i steer clear of the scary scary ones i would have been challenged by plants versus zombies on a scare factor wise so Anything beyond that is is a bit much for me. Even this, even Splatterhouse 2, a bit much. It's all a bit much, isn't it? Why do people do that to themselves? That's part of the fun, isn't it? Going in mm. to give themselves the willies. I mean, again, at the risk of opening up the conversation, I'm, I'm okay with horror films. I really love a good horror film, like a proper good one, and all too often disappointed. But I think part of the problem with games is that you have to be, you have to have a, a level of control yeah and um when i shit myself um that is me losing control so not great for game playing and on that note happy halloween everyone we hope you have a wonderful time don't get too scared if you do come find us on facebook and shit let let us know we'll we'll say something nice yeah we'll comfort you yeah facebook twitter youtube instagram instagram yeah barely barely on instagram i haven't done anything on there for months but we're still there. The only, one, the only one we're really active on is Facebook, isn't it? Because we're old people. Yeah. I signed up for TikTok uh, this week to see what that was like. It's uh, slightly too addictive. We're not on there, though. That's just a personal account. Yeah, that's, that's scary in a different sense. Very. And join us again next week for our next episode, which will be back to being something non-scary. And um, yeah, remember to join Thank us on God. social media and like, share, subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, we will. Well, we won't. You'll hear us. Yeah, metaphorically. Figuratively. Yeah. Bye. Bye.